0: Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, and thank you, Lord, for your provision and protection for us through this week. We ask that you would continue to grow us, that we might grow closer to you and look more like you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I have to say, this is one of my favorite hymns, though it's a little bit hard to sing. It's the uh, Song of Praise on page two in the service, uh, in the order of service. I love it for many things, but I love the last phrase of the third verse. And whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, we'll triumph through our sorrow and rise to bless you still. To marvel at your beauty and glory in your ways. To make a joyful duty our sacrifice of praise. Isn't that powerful? The resolve that's found in that lyric. Whether good or ill, we will rise to praise the Lord. It's one of the themes of today's sermon which as we continue continue with the s- series on the canticles we're seeing today a resolve to glorify god you joined in as we said with our lay reader today praised and exalted forever it's a war cry it's a determination just like the last phrase of that hymn. That no matter what happens, we're determined to say that, to do that. And you're going to see at the end of today's sermon that it comes from a very old source. So let's talk about that. I recognize this morning that um, I have to do a little bit of teaching a little bit of backstory. For where does this canticle come from? It comes from the apocryphal book of the Song of the Three Young Men. And so some of you were probably taken a little bit aback by that. Why are we singing that? Um, Why are we saying that? Well, let's start by looking in the Book of Common Prayer at page 774 in the back. Page 774. You'll notice in the middle of the page, and this is the 39 articles of religion, which is our um, standard, our declaration of articles of religion as Anglicans, we read, and the other books, as and that's an old version of Jerome, Hierom saith, the church doth read for example of life and instruction of matters. yet, doth not apply them to establish any doctrine such as these following. And notice on the top of page 775, the song of the three children, which is another name for the song of the three young men, which is another name for our canticle today. So there is the source. Now, why do we use this in worship? Why do we use this in worship? This particular book of, from the Apocrypha, and you've noticed that we do read from the Apocrypha, from period, periodically here, um, actually is very old. It's older than most of the Apocrypha. In fact, I was reading this week on it, and scholars think that this may even predate the book of Daniel, which our first lesson came from today. It might even predate the book of Daniel. So. Why do we use it? And the simple answer is, because Jesus and the apostles did. Jesus and the apostles did. Matthew seven sixteen. Jesus says, By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. But Jesus here is quoting the Apocrypha. And this is just one of many instances that Jesus quotes it. Here's the passage he's quoting from Sirach 27. The fruit discloses the cultivation of a tree. So the expression of a thought discloses the cultivation of a man's mind. So do you see... Jesus and the Apostles are constantly quoting this. And without getting too much into into depth, what happens is there's the Greek text coming from the Old Testament, and there's the Hebrew text coming from the Old Testament. And there's some things in the Greek text that weren't found in the Hebrew text. Okay? So another misnomer is that Protestants don't believe in the Apocrypha. I know that might be a mind-blowing thing for you. But without exception, all of the reformers in the Reformation, John Calvin, Thomas Cramner, Martin Luther, believed the apocrypha books should be read in church, believed that they should be in the Bible, believed that they should be studied, not to base doctrine off of, but for example. And so it's an oddity, a a real strange thing that our American Bibles don't have it in them as part of the standard text. Um, And it's something that actually came about in 1885. In fact, the King James Bible has the Apocrypha in it and had it in it up until 1885 when Americans decided to take it out. So I'm getting too far afield (laughs) because this isn't the lecture on that. But suffice it to say that this is an important part of our tradition. It's an important part of our faith. And the, mean, the word apocrypha means hidden. So we believe that it's not part of the authoritative word of God, which is why we don't respond to it with the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. But we do believe that it's really important. And this hymn that we sang today, this canticle, was actually sung in worship in the Hebrew temple and synagogue. So Jesus himself probably sang this hymn, which is also an interesting thing. John Stott, the great evangelical writer, writes that it was used in Jewish worship before Christ and in Christian worship, at least by the fourth century. So let's look at the text itself. And if you want to talk more about the Apocrypha, I'm happy to do so after the service. We're called to three things in it, so I invite you to open with me to page 87, Canticle 10. There's three things primarily that I think we can glean from it. Number one, it calls us to glorify God. Number two, it calls us to call others to glorify God. And number three, it calls us to glorify God and tells us that that's a gift of grace. So, we're called to glorify God, we're called to call others to glorify God, and the very ability to glorify God is a gift of God's grace. What did we say again and again? Glorify the Lord, praise Him, and exalt Him forever. Let's say that together. Glorify the Lord, praise him, and highly exalt him forever. Right? That's the call to us. Last week we talked about what it means to glorify God when we um, went through the other canticle, the dignus s, which means to give dignity, to give worthiness to God. And we got that image from Revelation chapter 5, of the elders surrounding the throne of God and Jesus Christ and taking their crowns and throwing them at his feet. That image of glorifying God. So what's being said here? Well, number one, it's telling us to do that. To glorify God that way. The Greek here is a word eulogetos. Eulogetos. That's what's translated, glorify, it can also be translated to praise or bless, give glory to. The old book of common prayer translates it: bless ye the Lord, praise him, and magnify him forever. Bless ye the Lord, glorify the Lord. Eulogy. What does that sound like in a modern English? Somebody, I think, I think I read your lips. Eulogy, right? eulogy, right? What is a eulogy? It's a time during a funeral service where what? You praise the person, right? You extol the person's life. Sometimes you hyperbolically extol the person's life. You forget (laughs) the things that aren't so good and you focus on the things that are so good. Of course, with God, there aren't the things that aren't so good, right? There's only the good things, right? So praise or bless God. It's actually in the Greek a compound word, you, meaning good, and legio, or sorry, logio, meaning to speak. So speak good of God. That's the literal translation. Speak good of God. I heard some of the Lutheran preschoolers, or grade schoolers, rather, this week. I was working up there. My office is right through that wall. And so I hear them when they're in the chapel down here. And they were singing the old song. Maybe you know it. If you do, sing it with me. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Right? They were doing what this canticle instructs to do. It was a wonderful thing. There's another part of the recurring phrase, though, that we say, right? What's it? Not just glorify God, not just praise praise Him, but what's the other part? The last part. Praise Him and highly exalt Him forever. Okay, so glorify the Lord, and then the second part, praise him and highly exalt him forever. Now this gets a little bit confusing, because there's another Greek word here, and it's the word humneso, and it means to praise, specifically, it's different than glorifying. Glorifying is that image of casting your crown, to praise is to sing, it's literally translated sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord. So glorify the Lord and sing of him, right? And then the, the last part of it is actually yet another word, huperosison, okay? Which means to exalt him, to put him high above all things. So you take the three together, and here's, this is the end of the Greek, little Greek uh, lesson for you. You take the three together and it's literally glorify or speak well of the Lord, sing praises to him, and highly exalt him forever. Do you see how they're all three a little bit different? To glorify him, to praise him, a song, to highly exalt him forever. The last one means to put him above everything else. He's the most important, he's the top, to exalt him. The same Greek word here is used by St. Paul when he writes to the Philippian church, our reading last week from Philippians 2.9, that God has elevated the name of Jesus above all others, that at his name every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. That's the same word here. The call of this canticle is to the faithful. It's to glorify God. It's part of our creation, our creational duty. It's part of our faithful joy to say this. And actually, you say this every week, whether you know it or not. Again, since we're getting used to our new Book of Common Prayer, flip to page 132 in the prayer book. You'll recognize this. Page 132, we've taken up the offering. I've greeted you with the surs and corda. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. And then I say this, it is right Our duty and our joy, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You see, in that one little phrase is what we're offering back to God at every Holy Eucharist, what's being said here in this canticle. It is our duty and our joy to do this. What's that mean? Well, it means that it's our duty, first of all. We don't like to talk about duty anymore in our culture. But duty is an important thing, right? It means, like we read last week in the canticle, that God is worth this. That if nobody else were here, if you were here by yourself, worshiping God is important. It's not about people. It is about us, but it's not just about people. Worship, first and foremost, is about giving God his due. Giving God his due, right? That's why we come here every week, number one, not to hear good things that Father Sean has to say, hopefully, not to just learn, not to read the Bible, although that's part of it, not to even be with other people, although community is important too. But first and foremost, we come here to offer our worship, our duty, and our joy to God. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I'm always so grieved when people come up to me and say, oh, I can't make it to church this week because I have such and such. And look, I get it. Life is busy. But you've got your priorities wrong. You're not highly exalting God and putting him above everything else if you're somewhere else on Sunday morning, period. Period. Unless you're sick, incapacitated, your butt should be in the pew. Somewhere. Doesn't have to be here, but somewhere. Somewhere. Worshiping God, giving him his due because he deserves it, period. But it's not just a duty. It's a great joy. It's a great joy. Why? Because we have the ability to come together and worship him as part of his creation. This is a text speaking directly to us. But here we move on to the second point that we're called to glorify God, not just for him, not just for us, but for all of creation. Remember last week I talked about how you are part of the priesthood, how you are priests in the kingdom. You worship the Lord and then you take the Lord's good news to those around you. This is part of your worship to bless and glorify God is a joyful thing. It's not just a call to us, it's a call for us. You and I are joining in creation with creation in glorifying God. Okay, the Greek's over, but here comes the Latin. Benedicite. Benedicite. What's it mean? It means what? Glorify the Lord. Okay, you say, I've already heard this part of the sermon. Wait, look at it. Glorify the Lord. It's not real clear in the English, but those of you that are English majors or um, are in school right now, do you remember there's this thing called um, tenses? And help me out. It's more than tenses. Kate, help me out. (laughs) When you conjugate a verb... Past, present, future tense. What else? Continually doing. How about who it's referring to? What's that called in English? I, I can give you the Latin, but I can't give you the English. In the, the, ob, the object. Yeah, the object, right? It can be two. And, and so when you, in other languages, there's an end to a verb that tells you exactly what it is. English is all screwed up. English it's terrible. You have to figure it out from the context. And so in the English, it's glorify the Lord. In Latin, it's benedicite, which clearly, specifically tells you, with what's called the imperative second person plural, what you're supposed to do. What's the imperative? In English, we would say, you glorify the Lord. You shall glorify the Lord. It's a command, do you see? And guess what else is a command? Highly exalt him forever. Praise him. Sing praises to him. Highly exalt him forever. So when we're saying this canticle, we are literally saying, you, people of God, glorify the Lord. Sing praises to him. Highly exalt him forever. Why? Why? Why is it so? Because it's part of our duty, but it's part of our joy as being his creatures. As redeemed men and women in Christ, you have the power to glorify the Lord, to highly exalt him and praise him forever. That's not a small thing. We read in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You and I are given dominion as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve in Genesis. And we're given dominion to praise God and glorify him forever. But here's the weird thing. Everything else, everybody else listed in the canticle, they already do it. You and I don't as a race. (laughs) Look at it. Angels, sun and moon, fire and heat, summer, chill and cold, ice and sleet, right? The earth and its creatures. Water, seas, streams, whales, beasts of the field. We're told throughout Scripture that all creation glorifies God. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. Job 12 tells us the beasts and the fish But ask the beasts and the fish, and they will teach you, says Job, the birds of the heavens, they will tell you, the the bushes of the earth, they will teach you, and the wild fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord hath done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. The angels do it. Psalm 103, which we're going to say next week. Bless the Lord, O you angels of His, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, His ministers, who do His will. They do it. The wild animals themselves, Isaiah 43, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Verse 22, yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You see in the last line there is the fact that while the rest of creation does this, we as a people, as a class, as a category, do not. So I want to ask you, did you ever in class get caught by the teacher messing around, right? Right? You were in the class, and the teacher was doing some math problem on the board. I'm thinking of a particular instance in my mind. And I was talking to somebody next to me, and the teacher said, Sean, would you like to come up and finish the problem that's on the board? Did that ever happen to you? It was very effective. I shut up the rest of the class and had a little bit of humiliation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. In a way, this canticle is this, it's the Lord saying, hey, human beings, (laughs) sing this and realize that you are the piece that's left out (laughs) in your own strength. You are the ones that disobey this. You are the ones that don't constantly glorify the Lord. The rest of creation does it. get with the program. Would you like to finish the problem? It's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to us that we properly have the dominion over all the things listed here. We're even told that one day we'll judge the angels in in Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3. Paul tells us that we're going to judge the angels and we don't measure up. And yet, here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Here's the grace that Jesus does. Look at Jesus' life. He's always glorifying God, seeking His will, highly exalting Him forever, pointing to God the Father. And if we're found in Jesus Christ, we gain that as part of our identity. And therefore, we can sing this hymn with gusto, even though we fall so terribly short. So do you see here, in a canticle from 200, maybe 300 BC, you have a lesson, a call to do something. You have a call for something. And you have... The grace of Jesus Christ to do it. God has acted so that we can respond. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Glorify him. Sing praises to him and highly exalt him forever. It is your duty. It is your right now in Christ. It is your joy. Amen.